Here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live in the brand new Fox Sports Luminate Studios in Las Vegas. And we are here again every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Las Vegas flagship station of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. The We also includes social media director Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Along with producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing and being part of a lot of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, Mags also serves as the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network and uh, you can also watch this show on facebook live and twitch the page is called out line that's o-u-t-t-a-l-i-n-e you can follow the show on instagram and twitter at out line fox lv and since we are live your calls and questions are welcome the fox sports residential bank corp i should say luminate financial studio line is 702-876-1340 Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap brought to you by Luminate Financial. Call 702-964-5720 to get information on interest rates and the current situation with the Las Vegas housing market on tap. Wow, so many things going on. The Vegas Golden Knights, believe it or not, only two weeks away from their first preseason game, the shortest preseason, I should say the uh, shortest offseason they've had in their short history. Las Vegas Aces look to wrap up home court advantage today as they play their final finale today at the Michelob Ultra Arena at Mandalay Bay Event Center. And, um amazed that they haven't wrapped it up yet. Their best record in the history of the WNBA, but the New York Liberty won't go away. We'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. We also have UNLV went to the big house yesterday uh, and played their uh, uh, the number two team in the country, the Michigan Wolverines. Not as bad as maybe the score... The, the score, the final score, or maybe as bad as you think. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We've got the Bones uh, Raiders play their first game on the road today at Denver. I think everybody knows about that. Denver uh, featuring Sean Payton back coaching again. And, of course, uh, you've got Russell Wilson, who supposedly is going to be better this year than he was last year. We'll talk about the, all about the Raiders, the NFL Week 1. And uh, joined a little bit later in the show by a good friend of mine, owner of Fanatic U Outlets in Detroit, to talk about that big Lions win over Kansas City on the Thursday night NFL opener this year and uh, should be very interesting. And then late, late in the show, we are going to have a brand new pick segment this year, something a little bit new. We're going to do at the end with the scooper again, and you'll get our picks against the scooper. Somebody's going to win a dinner or a lunch at the end of the season. And um, scooper's trying to hang on, man. I mean, he's got to beat us all to maintain the segment next season, but that is what's on tap. Once again, brought to you by Luminate Financial for information on all of home financing options currently available in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for information again on all of your home financing needs. And uh, let's get right into it, guys. I'm back. I'm uh, feeling pretty good, man. I'm long, long, 
vacation. Ten days is about as long as I ever go anywhere and went to Costa Rica, enjoyed the hell out of myself last week, and now recovering back in. I get in all kinds of changes in my personal life in one week, and, uh, man, I couldn't get on Word this morning on my computer, so we're without a show log and, and kind of flying blind today, which is actually a, a good and a fun thing. But uh, as always, man, not much to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights, although they're getting ready for preseason and uh, first preseason game. So go ahead, Spencer, hit it, man. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Now, like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Golden Knights as we will be spending a lot of time on them in the very near future. But, um, you know, their season officially ended on June 13th when they closed out the Stanley Cup final against um, the Florida Panthers and, of course, winning their first Stanley Cup that culminated with the parade. But what that also meant, it was their shortest off season in their six years getting ready to enter their seventh season in the National Hockey League. And, Chris, just real quickly, do you think – that maybe a shorter offseason is not a great thing. I mean, some of the Golden Knights have quietly said, wow, man, it feels feels like we just left the ice and we're about to get back on it already. Some of the guys never stopped working out. I know Keegan Colasar and Brett Howden worked out together all summer long. Some of them just never stopped preparing. Most of them don't. They work out and stay in shape. But that, you know, I mean... Every professional sports season takes up so much of the year where you're away from your family, you're traveling, uh, you know, you are just dialed in. And, um, you know, that shortened season by probably a month to two months, does that hurt them? Yeah, I think it does. Um, Certainly the guys who were banged up in the playoffs, I'm I'm sure it hurts a little bit. Uh, Guys like Alec Martinez, although I saw he recently had his day with the cup, he looked like he was in great shape. But... Yeah, I think the short off season is going to hurt a lot of guys. You know, the, I don't know if if the rust uh, rust isn't the right word, but I don't know if the 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 winning of the Stanley Cup for these guys, for many of them, for the first time, I don't know what the what the carryover is like for that because we've never seen it here in Las Vegas. You know, we saw the Colorado Avalanche; they struggled last year. Now, granted, they did deal with some injuries. But the lightning went back to back, but their their circumstances were really quite odd when you look at it. So they didn't play as much hockey. Now the one thing that the Golden Knights did do, which which may be a benefit to them, they closed out series quick. Right? No seven game series for them. Winnipeg was a quick series. I think Edmonton went six or maybe five. I don't remember, but there were no game sevens for the Golden Knights, no series that that dragged out. Even the Dallas series, which went six games, it, it was a pretty, I think, easy series for the Golden Knights in terms of getting out of it without putting a lot of, you know, a lot of miles on the body. It's going to be interesting. I do think they'll they'll be hungry again, but it's just natural to expect some sort of hangover early on to start the season, which, believe it or not, is like a month away. Yeah, I think a month from today is, is opening night. Opening night a month from today, preseason opening night two weeks from today. Um, that'll be in San Jose. They got their first preseason game um, at T-Mobile Arena on the 27th of September. They'll be playing uh, the L.A. Kings. But um, everyone everyone anticipating the start of this season. I mean, you know, following up a championship is always huge. And uh, speaking of that, we'll transition right over. We'll bring in Chris Wynn as well, who's joining us today. Fellow Detroit guy, wanted him on the show as we will 
definitely be getting into the Detroit Lions in a little while. But right now, the Las Vegas Aces um, play their finale today uh, against the Phoenix Mercury, a team that was pretty good before, but uh, one of the kind of, uh, you know, back seat now in the WNBA. But, you know, it's not about today's game. I mean, they, they win today's game. They lock up home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Chris, I thought this would be locked up a bit ago, but one thing that people really need to pay attention to if they haven't been, uh, if people following WNBA have been, but it's the New York Liberty. This team won't go away. They've won eight straight games. They have definitely showed that uh, out of all the teams in the WNBA, they can play toe-to-toe with the Las Vegas Aces. And their size poses a bit of an advantage, as we saw the last time when they played in that Commissioner's Cup uh, championship game here at, at T-Mobile. We were there, and the New York Liberty size, without question, posed a problem to the Las Vegas Aces. Chris, I think they'll win today. I think they'll, they'll get home court advantage. But is that going to matter against the, the New York Liberty? And, I mean, I know we're bypassing. There's seven other, six other teams that are saying, hey, wait a minute, man, we haven't even started the playoffs yet, but let's be realistic. I don't know that anybody can beat the Liberty or the Aces in a series, even if it's a three-game series. But if it does come down to the Aces and the Liberty, Chris, you know, you've you've been to a number of games this year. Are the Aces in trouble? First of all, it's good to join you guys. No question about it. I'm fired up for today. It's, I'm like a kid in a candy store, I'm sure, as like you guys are with uh, NFL Week 1 going on. The two most anticipated uh, seasons to start are the Major League Baseball season in the NFL season. But uh, no question, Brian, um, going into the WBA playoffs after a game against the Phoenix Mercury, it's going to be kind of a, a wait and see until those two teams match up. You talked about uh, some of the other teams maybe getting disrespected, but it just it just happens to be the nature of the beast, right, guys? Uh, this has been kind of the anticipated matchup between the New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces. They are, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinion, the two best teams WNBA, and I would concur and uh, probably echo a lot of your sentiment, Brian, there of what you just said as far as the matchup between these two teams. Having a chance to see all these teams, see New York and Vegas play all the games in this regular season, there is no doubt in my mind that Becky Hammond and this Aces squad is going to have to deal with that physical element that the Liberty bring, and that's going to be a key to the matchup when they do face each other, and I think they will in the WNBA playoffs and in the WNBA finals. So, uh, it, yes, it's a challenge for the Las Vegas Aces. I don't know if I'd, I'd probably characterize it as they're a team that's in trouble, but it's definitely something that's going to be need to be, need to be addressed, and it's going to be need to it's going to need to be rectified if the Las Vegas Aces are going to repeat as WNBA champions. Yeah, Chris, I agree. I think that the, that it, it's going to be a tougher task this year than it was last year. Again, you're trying to repeat, and you're playing against a team that definitely knows how to play against them. You know, they're without for sure. It sounds like uh, even though Raquana Williams, I don't want to get in, much into that story, I'm very happy that Becky Hammond has, has basically said, no, she's not returning to the team, regardless of the fact that her wife refuses to press charges or it wasn't going to show up at the hearing um she's not letting Raquana back on the team based on her on her, her statement it doesn't sound like it's going to be at all this year I don't know what the future holds for her but that is a missing piece that the that the Las Vegas Aces would be it would help them out and also Candace Parker she's been out for the majority of the season injured Chris I haven't really looked today but any word on if Candace Parker will be available for the postseason for this Aces team because I'm telling you even though Candace Parker is completely on the backside of her 
career. It's one of the greatest players that's ever played basketball, for you know, that's ever played women's basketball. And um, her size is so badly needed, especially as they advance in the playoffs. Yeah, there hasn't been any indication that she will be available on the court for for the Aces. But I really do think about the Candace Parker addition and and what she brings to the table for the Aces could be a lot like Jonathan Quick was, right, for the Vegas Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2023. It was – she can still be kind of a driving force, someone who can be a shoulder to lean on, a mentor-type person for for this team. Yes, obviously, you'd love to have her on the court if you're the Aces without question. But uh, as of right now, there's no indication that she's going to be available for the playoffs, but uh, we shall see how that all goes down. You talked about the Williams situation. Look, we can be straight up and honest about it uh, and, and just kind of report out what we think about it. Uh, Raquana Williams, I think I think this would be much uh, – it would be receptive, I think, more for the Aces if this was a first-time thing with her. It's not. It just isn't. It's not a first-time situation with Raquana Williams. So I think that's why the Aces organization is hesitant whatsoever to, to have her be a part of the team moving forward and uh, and also the nature of the charges of what's transpired and uh, of course with the with the injuries to her wife so uh i mean we can be straight up about it i, I don't think she uh is going to be part of this team and uh i think that the, that the situation in which uh Raquana needs to uh to kind of uh kind of look things over in her life and and get things straightened out yeah, I agree, Chris. I think that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with her in the future. But I, w- with the second strike of that nature, when you're talking about domestic violence, uh, you know, th- to me, it's a one strike situation. You can you can. Yeah. You, what I mean is you get one strike, you can get some help, you can get it fixed. But you have a second incident, man, within a couple of years. I'm sorry to me. I don't think she should ever play again. And that's just my opinion. Um, I'll, I have no problem stating that anywhere, but I think she should be done. I think that the, the one strike is all you get you're always I think all people always deserve a second chance but when you start getting into third and chances and beyond to me it makes no sense guys let's get right into UNLV um you know they, they played their first game no surprise blew out Brian a week ago uh we talked about that last week on the show I don't think anyone had any expectations of them doing a great deal in Ann Arbor against Michigan um I gotta say 35 to 7 um I don't think that score is ridiculously lopsided considering it's a second-ranked team in the country. Uh, Michigan, a team that's been in the playoffs the last couple of years and, and has a really good shot at beating them again this year and who knows, maybe even winning them because uh, they looked damn good yesterday. Corum, to me, one of the best running backs in the country. I don't want to say people keep comparing him to Barry Sanders, and I hate that, although I believe Blake Corum is the real deal and is a guy that is going to play on Sundays and probably play really effectively. And uh, the quarterback over there in Ann Arbor also, man, this kid is really coming into his own. He is extremely confident, extremely cool and relaxed in the pocket and comfortable getting outside of the pocket as well. I think Michigan, uh, you know, is in really good hands in that situation. I think, you know, one more year also under his belt really bodes well, you know, when you're talking about the Michigan Wolverines and, and what and what's going to go on down the road. But but Chris, you know, overall, when you look at when you look at, uh, you know, the the, the UNLV Rebels, what they've done underneath Barry Odom to this point, two games in, one and one. No one, I think everyone expected this to be their record. What you saw yesterday, disappointed, concerned, where you thought they would be, or maybe a little bit better than expected? Yeah, so you use that word, and that's exactly how people have talked about this 
it's what we've expected, right, in these first two games. You expected them to handle Bryant University, which they did in the opener. And we expected them to uh, to have a tough time of it you know, up in Ann Arbor in the big house against the number two team in the country. And uh, you, you talked about the, the key guys for the Wolverines. Obviously, Coram is one of those. And J.J. McCarthy, there's been a lot of discussion. You, If you watch the broadcast, if you're here back and, and you weren't actually uh, fortunate enough to uh, head to the big house and watch the game, uh, Brad Nestler and company the announcers talked about J.J. McCarthy uh, along the same lines of a lot of big-time quarterbacks that have won national championships. And it's almost like uh, Michigan you know, has the possibility of making that step this year. So there wasn't any real expectation that UNLV was going to go up there and uh, and really challenge the Wolverines. Now, look, they did end up getting on the scoreboard in that game late against, uh, you know, second, third guys on that Michigan defense. So uh, so that was great. But uh, throughout most of the game, Michigan's defense just imposed their will, and, and UNLV was not was, – was struggling. Um, if you're going to have question marks regarding the Rebels – I think that uh, Doug Rumfeld really is uh, is is a little bit concerning to me. Uh, not not necessarily because he didn't go out there and and light his hair on fire against Michigan. We kind of knew that was going to happen, but but uh, he, he just there, there's been certain uh, situations uh, on the field where he hasn't exactly produced at the level that I think a lot of us expected him to do. So uh, if you want to nitpick and kind of look at the, at uh, and maybe a situation like that, I would maybe toss that out there. But other than that, look, here's the deal, Brian, Mags, and company. This is not something we didn't expect in the first two games of the season for UNLV. Oh, no, not at all. I actually, what I learned with Doug Brumfield is, again, Doug Brumfield's a tough guy. We knew that before. He uh, He's put on a little bit of weight. He still looks really thin, but he's tall. And one of the things, you know, one of their most effective plays was Doug Brumfield getting outside of the pocket, feeling pressure, releasing, and picking up a 13-yard first down. I think that Barry Odom may hopefully recognize that Doug Brumfield is going to have to use his feet more, especially against teams that have big stronger defenses one of the things I noticed which was just which I really am proud of UNLV for is the fact that I mean it looked like men amongst boys when you looked at the offensive line of, of Michigan playing against the defensive line of UNLV I mean so undersized Magnum I, I, I gotta tell you you know the you know overall in the game my takeaways I like Jacob DeJesus a lot I know he's a little gnat out of junior college but I think this kid could have played D1 ball at a big university I really do I think he could be a kick return and even a guy that could play slot at a higher level. Very fast, very quick, very agile. I like him a lot. I think Doug Brumfield, again, they need to utilize his legs more because I think that's one of his greatest assets. I know you don't want a quarterback to get hurt, but at the college level, quarterbacks run the football. That's just the way it is. And I think defensively, I'm not really too upset with UNLV defensively against a much bigger, stronger, more talented Michigan team. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, 22 at 25. I think he completed like his first 14 or 15 passes in a row. 278 or two touchdowns. That's modest considering they played UNLV, a team traditionally with one of the worst defenses in the country. And Blake Corum, a guy that I said people compare to Barry Sanders. He had three touchdowns, but he only also had 80 yards on the ground. That is not what I really thought Blake Corum would have close to 200 yards on the ground, three touchdowns on the ground, and maybe even another 40 or 50 yards receiving. It wasn't that way so overall the takeaway is it wasn't as bad as it looks maybe on the scoreboard well let's be honest guys i mean we watched the game and unlv was the victim of i think a bad call late in that second half clearly a catch even gary danielson was like 
I don't understand how that's a catch. And well, whose def- job is it to call that review, though, Chris? Well, they did review it. That's the problem. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was reviewed. The problem is it's it's a dumb rule that a guy has to make a, quote, football move when the defender clearly prevents him from making a how football move. How about when they tap one foot out of bounds as they're falling out but, of bounds and they call that a catch, so, but they're not going to call that? I mean, that so, makes no so, sense. But, but they were driving, right? Yeah. And the, they turned the ball over. Michigan goes right down, scores a touchdown at the end of the second quarter, makes it 21 nothing. And at that point, Michigan gets the ball back to start the second half. The game is probably over. But how different is that game if UNLV gets a touchdown before the half? They're not burned by that ridiculous, stupid call. And and they kick off to Michigan. Look, if you go into the half 14-7 against Michigan, I don't care what happens in the second half. Rebels played a respectable game. I don't think anyone expected them to go up there and beat Michigan. This is a work in progress. It's going to take some time. But we get a better idea next week, right? You get, you get a bottom... SEC team that comes to Vegas. Team they beat last year. Yeah, they beat Vanderbilt a couple years ago on the road under Marcus Arroyo. So, you know, I I think it's certainly a a case where for UNLV, and UTEP is not a world beater. I think if you come out of the non-conference or or out-of-conference schedule two and two, I think you'd say that's that's pretty respectable for for a first-year coach. And, you know, they're still getting, you know, the defense is always ahead of offense coming out of training camp. I think the offense will get things going because I think we've seen over the, the, the last three years that Doug Brumfield is a pretty good quarterback. So, you know, we'll just have to see. Next week, we might be talking about a 2-1 and one UNLV team that beat Vanderbilt. We'll just have to wait and see. I mean, I, I, I certainly think in the case of Barry Odom, I don't think you're ever going to have to question if his teams are ready to play or not. No, and you know, also what, what you see with Barry Odom, what I really like is the kids respect him, other coaches respect him. I really like the guy. I hope the commentators he is on CBS were, were, were gloating about no him. No doubt about it. I mean, he, he is. Mags to that point. And Brian, Mags to that point. Uh, Brian, how funny was that? That uh, uh, Mags just brought up Gary Danielson, right? And they were talking about the UNLV offensive formation as far as the two in the backfield with Doug Brumfield. And what does Gary, Gary bring up, Mr. Fell? As you and I are both sporting our Honolulu blue and silver, our one and a Lions, he brings up the backfield in Detroit back in the 80s with Gary Danielson at quarterback and Barry Sanders, or excuse me, not Barry, Barry Sanders, Sims. James Jones and Billy Sims in the backfield and comparing it to UNLV and how they run their their uh, offensive sets. So yeah, well, cool. well, Chris, to me, what he was doing was Gary Danielson was reminding everyone that he did play professional football and was a quarterback. <laughs> he did do the, that. Because yeah. the bottom line is when he played for the Lions, the guy was injured way more than he played. He, matter of fact, Eric Hipple thanks him all the time for his career because Eric Hipple <laughs> is probably a perennial backup if Danielson doesn't go down so often. And what the Lions realized back then, and, and I believe the coach at the time, Monty Clark, you know, was like, Wait a minute, Eric Hipple can play. I mean, he's he's tougher. This guy, Eric Hipple, was getting the crap beat out of him, and he kept showing up every day. Gary Danielson would get a hangnail, and he'd be out for three weeks. And again, but so I, I just, I, I, it's not that I dislike Gary Danielson. I just like the fact yeah. that he had to remind everyone he played professional football and played at Purdue. He made that point like two or three times during the game. And uh, <laughs> but, 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 but you know, overall, as Chris said, I, I think overall it's a good takeaway from the game. I think they learned a few things about themselves. I do think they've got to find a way 
to get Ricky White more involved in the offense. I mean, this is a guy that played at Michigan State Big Ten, had 180 yards a couple of years ago against Michigan in the Michigan-Michigan State game. This guy's got to get some more action. Again, I like the Jesus, and I agree with what Chris just said. Brumfield has showed he can play the quarterback position and play it fairly effectively at UNLV. So if they can continue to move forward, we'll see how much Barry Odom takes from this loss and moving forward against Vandy next week. But I agree with Chris. I think they beat Vandy next week. I think they're going to have a little bit of trouble uh, in the game after that. You know, it just, you know, you, you got to take everything in perspective. And, you know, they're playing UTEP after that. That's going to be a little bit of a tough ball game. But again, they're all at home. They've got three straight games at home. And can you imagine if somehow they find a way to win those three games and come out of that whole thing four and one? We're way ahead of ourselves right now. But, you know, it's not impossible looking at that schedule that they could beat Vanderbilt. Uh, UTEP actually is on the road. Excuse me, that's a road game. That'll be tough. But if they could some come out of there, like he said, two and two in conference play, and then get you get Hawaii at home in the first game in the in the Mountain West, um, UNLV could maybe surprise a few people this year. Guys, real quickly, want to move on to talk about college football and what what happened outside of that as well. How about you know it, it's second week in a row. Granted, Nebraska is definitely not uh, TCU, but Colorado again flexing their muscle. You know I, I, he's being talked about all over the country, but Coach Prime is something else. And, and you know, somebody said, and, and I think, uh, Chris, maybe it was you, and I've heard this from a few other people, that, that he, no, it wasn't you. As a matter of fact, it's another friend of mine, but it might have been you as well, that are talking about how now Coach Prime is showing how you don't need years to rebuild a college program. That he's gone in in one year, and you're talking about they've already doubled their win total of last year in two games, and they beat the team in the first game of the season that played in the national championship game last year. Granted, it's not the same TCU team from a year ago, but still, that's a hell of an accomplishment for a Colorado team that was absolutely a lesser like at best last season. He has completely turned that program around. His son is the real deal at quarterback. He's got a two-way player that's going to be, be, be getting in the Heisman Trophy conversation very soon. And uh, uh, Chris Wynn, first I'll start with you. Are yeah. you surprised at what's going on up there in Colorado right now? I don't think I'm surprised whatsoever because it's referring to the point you just made. There's no question about it. It is a textbook case up in Boulder that college football's landscape is completely different now with the transfer portal. It just flat out is. This is a situation now where it doesn't take two, three, five years for your college football program to turn around. This is a Colorado program that was just atrocious a year ago, right? That struggled to even win one game. And now you have a team that is in the top 25, and uh, that's because there's been an influx of talent in that program that uh, that has kind of catapulted this program there. Also interesting, you point out, you talked about Shadur Sanders and his impact at quarterback, of course, the son of Dion. Uh, he talked about this postgame, and it was, it was kind of interesting. This, I think this team kind of carries a mentality that Michael Jordan used to carry back in his days playing with the Chicago Bulls, and that, you know, they, they kind of create – situations in which they get angry, right, and upset and put a chip on their shoulder going into football games. That's exactly what the case was here with, uh, you know, Nebraska's head coach talking smack, basically, about Deion Sanders before the game. And Sanders mentioned uh, – and, and, and Shadur Sanders mentioned this post game talking about how they felt disrespected, and so that's why they went out there uh, on a mission against Nebraska. And, uh, look, this is, an old, this is a long-time old-school Big 8 rivalry between – uh, two programs that uh, have a ton of history 
but uh, there's no question. I think that uh, this is a Colorado program that is looking to elevate and uh, and look and, and and Deion Sanders as the head coach is 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 right is along for the ride on this one. Yeah, you know, and and you mentioned the 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 the, the portal. It, it is just a huge part of collegiate sports right now. And any coach that is not properly utilizing the portal, you're making a huge mistake. And one of those coaches that is not that is sticking to his guns and is rarely using the portal, of course, is Debo Sweeney in uh in in yeah. in, in Clemson. And and you know, yeah, they they pounded the College of Char- Charleston Southern, but twenty they're ranked twenty fifth in the country this year. I, I don't know the last time they've been ranked that low to start a season. And Chris and you know the bottom line is it's his lack of use of the portal they're not getting the players and my god you know you know how many players out there would love to play at Clemson and just go out there and get them don't don't think old school the portal's not going away this is the wave of the future coaches are using it and that is to me a huge problem in Clemson and they're talking about it and it's something that he is going to have to alter and kind of morph into modern times the other thing Chris just real quickly before I leave the Colorado subject completely and what you had to right. say is you know yes it's the college portal and I tried to tell this to my friend too no expectations aren't going to change for me for college coaches thinking they need to build a program in one or two years I think every coach should get four years if they're completely garbage after three then you can fire them after three but let them have the same career as a college athlete gets and see if they can turn around a team with their own people but again Deion Sanders is an anomaly in the fact that it's Deion Sanders. The guy, first of all, is very engaging. He is a great communicator, a great talker. If he is sitting in your living room saying, I want your kid to come to Colorado, I'm going to do everything I can to make him a pro. We're going to get him an education, but he is going to have a good time and we are going to be a good team. It's just... How are you going to say no to Deion Sanders sitting in your living room? That's where I say that they have a distinct advantage, and you can't put that onus on other college coaches because they're not Deion Sanders. But then again, he still has to hire the right people, and he still has to devise a game plan that he's doing really well. The man can flat-out coach. I'm sorry he can, and I really like what I'm seeing, and I think the Buffaloes are going to be a team to be reckoned with this year. Do I think they'll get really good and get to the college playoffs? Well, that's yet to be seen, but I think they are going to team that's going to play in a bowl game and have a really, really successful season. The last game I want to talk about real quick before we move on is, you know, the Alabama game. Um, Alabama at home, I said, I said, you know, Chris, we were out to dinner on Friday night, and I made a comment yeah. to you when we talked about that, saying something really stinks about that line. It, 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 it's just too low. I understand everyone's talking about Alabama's not the team they've been in the past. Well, then why the hell are they still ranked number three if they're not the team they were in the past? That's still pretty damn high. Texas ranked 11th. Texas clearly the better team. Beat them in Tuscaloosa and it's pretty amazing when you look at Alabama's past. You know, some notable streak snaps. Spencer, here I go with my, all my uh, my statistics and stuff, but some some of the notable streaks snapped yesterday. Alabama had won 21 straight home games which was the longest active streak in the FBS. They had won 73 straight home games when leading entering the fourth quarter. That was the second longest active streak in the FBS and Nick Saban had gone had gone 121 straight home games without a double-digit loss, dating back to 2003. I mean, Texas is a good team. We all know that Steve Sarkeesian can flat-out coach. Uh, you know, as long as he keeps the bottle down, the guy's a hell of a coach. And uh, he's a hell of a coach even with the bottle, but he's not going to coach for a long time if he keeps doing it. But the bottom line is that's in the past. He is a great coach. I love what he's doing at Texas. And Chris, Texas 
might be one of the best coaches in the country. I mean, excuse me, one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, obviously, when you think about this matchup, guys, right, and immediately you see you see Brian Denny Stadium, right, you see Tuscaloosa, you see Vaunted, Alabama, and you and you you just think, right, Texas should be up against it. Not the case here in 2023. This is a Texas team, especially I think from from player number one to player 30. Texas has more talent than Alabama does this year. It's just flat the case. Um, understand that both these teams are going to be defensive type teams this season. Defense is going to they're going to hang their hat on that side of the football. Alabama hangs their hat on, on the defensive side of the football every season, and uh, and then they they also have great seasons where they have great offensive players. But this was this was going to be a knockdown, drag out kind of fight. We thought, but uh, Texas absolutely imposed their will. They went in there and uh, and and they executed their viewers. Looks like he's going to be the real deal at the college level, as, uh, being a Heisman candidate, and rightfully so. And uh, and and the Longhorns were able to go in there and get a win. I think when you look at the national championship picture this year, it's going to be tough to have the Crimson Tide there. This is a tied team that could absolutely have three losses. I know that's kind of preposterous, right? That we're talking about the Crimson Tide could have three losses in the season. But Brian, Max, Wittes, I think this is one of those years where – we're not going to be talking about the the Alabama Crimson Tide as far as a national championship contender, but we are going to be talking about the Texas Longhorns because they belong there. Well, here's the thing, Chris. It's not preposterous that Alabama could have three losses because they were they weren't very good last year, and they were bailed out against Texas. They should have they should have lost that game yep. last year in Austin, but the officials decided to steal that game from Texas and give it to Alabama. So no surprise. The Longhorns go in there this year and kick the kick the Crimson Tide's ass. Look, I think Alabama, they it, it sounds crazy, but I think there's just a, a a point in time where the game evolves and Alabama trying to play 1980s run run it up your gut football, it doesn't work. I don't think they have the quarterback to be able to to compete in the SEC. Kirby Smart has turned Georgia into the premier program in the country. I mean, I'm never going to say Alabama's done, but I think it's going to be a really, really difficult, uh, you know, a, a difficult thing for them to be able to get back into the college football playoff this year. I just think the game has gotten too – it's evolved. Ohio State is, is really good. Penn State's really good. Obviously, Michigan, we saw them yesterday. Georgia, there's a lot of teams – USC with Caleb Williams. You know, there's a lot of teams that are playing much more modern football, I guess I'll say. And Saban's going to need to come up with something. Look, he's the he's the greatest college football coach of all time. There's no doubt about that. Sorry, Bear Bryant. But if there's anyone who can who can get the job done, it's Nick Saban. I just don't know if he has the quarterback to be able to do it this year. Well, we'll see. I, you know, I, I, I still think Alabama is always going to be a force to be reckoned with. Nick Saban will take this loss personally. He, he doesn't lose a lot to his former assistants. So you know that irks him as much as he smiled and patted Sarkeesian on the back last night. He was not happy at all. Listen, let's move on. Go ahead, Spence. Hit it because I had a good friend on the line. I want to bring him in. Back this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it's a fact. The Detroit Lions started the season 1-0 by knocking off the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll still call it Arrowhead. I don't need to add the initials at the beginning of it. But uh, at Arrowhead, one of the toughest places to play in the National Football League. This is... 
was either the Lions a brand new regime, which it could be part of that, or was it a case of good fortune, which does not happen to my Detroit Lions very often. Uh, maybe a combination of both. Joining the show now, one of my best friends in the world. I had to get him on. We were going to have him on before. He is in Detroit. He is the owner of the Fanatic U stores in Detroit. Um, we'll, we'll get some information from Greg on those stores. If you are traveling to Detroit or you want to get anything Michigan sports related, Greg has it all. Uh, he's taken pride in doing that for years. A gigantic Detroit sports fan. Greg and I played in a football league together for about 12 years in Detroit. Greg actually played into his 50s. I moved out here. But, um, Greg, great having you on the show, man. Me and Greg go back and forth. We argue on Facebook. We battle all the time. But it is a battle all of, the time. A battle of pure <laughs> love is what it is. And we both have the same goal in mind. We want to see the Detroit Lions be successful. Some people, Greg, as you know, call me haters. Greg and I have little secret conversations that nobody hears You're just about. missing out, Brian. That's all. <laughs> nobody, but, you know, we have our little secret conversations. Greg knows how I really feel. But the bottom line is I say this to Detroit Lions fans the game against Kansas City Greg and I want you to obviously chime in on this and of course Chris Wynn joining another Detroit boys we're all wearing our Detroit our Detroit paraphernalia today but um you know Greg the bottom line is this the Lions won the game they're 1-0 I don't care how they won it or, or, or anything it's a win and we'll take that and I'll take it all day long but I want to be fair and I think right now being a Detroit Lions fan a long time suffering Detroit Lions fan that I'm going to say this that when you play a team like Kansas City and they are not at their their fully best but you beat them on the road you take credit for it but what you do is you remain humble and you acknowledge the fact that this team was missing two future guaranteed lock hall of famers in Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones flat out hall of famers at the tail end of the prime but still in their prime okay you had Patrick Mahomes but you're missing two guys again statistically you can look at the stats without Travis Kelsey, and without Chris Jones, Kansas City is a different football team. And never since the two of them have been on the Chiefs together have they both missed the same game. Never happened until Thursday night against the Detroit Lions. That being said, Kansas City hung right in the game with them till the end. And if a guy named Kadarius Toney makes two of the three horrible drops he has, you know, it's probably a different game. And people are going to say, well, what about Marvin Jones? Marvin Jones Jr. fumbled a ball inside of the 10-yard line. Right afterwards, Kansas City went three and out. They did nothing with it. It didn't change anything, although people say, well, the Lions might have gotten three more points or seven more points. Or seven. Okay, but the bottom line is, Greg, is I just want, and I want your opinion because you are the biggest guy on the bandwagon there is, don't you think that Lions fans should at least acknowledge the fact to Kansas City. Kansas City has a right to make excuses. They've won two of the last three Super Bowls, for God's sakes. They can make excuses. We don't have a right to make any excuses. We've won one playoff game in 65 years as of today. So what we should do is give Kansas City some some credit. Say, hey, you played your asses off without two of your best players, and we beat you. We'll take, we'll take the win. We know you guys are going to be good. And if all works out real well, maybe we'll see you down the road in February. But to start talking about February in September when you are a Detroit Lions fan, to me, is absolutely 100% ridiculous, regardless of how good they look and everything. Haven't we learned from history not to count chickens before we even know if the eggs are fertilized? Greg, go ahead. Uh, we didn't have JMO or Bugs, 
So we could use excuses if they had their two guys. Are you going to compare those guys to two Hall of Famers? No, but if Chris Jones and, and theirs, we don't have Isaiah and, uh, and um, Jamo. So we could use those excuses. But right now, it's just good to see Kansas City coming up with excuses because they game plan for a whole year just like we did, and we game plan for Kelsey to be in there. Who knows? The game might have been different had uh, he been playing. Their tight end did get a touchdown, so Kelsey doesn't get 20 touchdowns a year. He gets about 13 to 15, so they still got the touchdown production from their tight end. Well, Greg, I'm going to give I'm going to give them all the credit in the world. We'll let Chris Wynn chime in here in a second. Well, let, you know, let's let's put that game behind us now. This Detroit Lions team is moving forward now. Chris Wynn, I'll ask you, and you can talk to Greg as well. The Lions well. were fortunate, Brian. The, the right? Lions, no they were doubt. definitely fortunate. And that's what's cool. That was my point, what I wanted everyone to say. The Lions were on the good side of luck for the first one of the first times in my lifetime. We never see them on the good side of luck. But, Chris, looking at this Lions team going forward, there are some people right now. I'm not going to be one of them. I had Kansas City as a loss, and I have Seattle as a win. They go to see. They they come home. They play Seattle, a revenge game. Not only did Seattle beat them in Week Three last year, but because of them beating the Packers, they rewarded Seattle by catapulting them into the playoffs with the exact same record as the Lions because of that Week Three win. Are the Lions going to have a letdown after that huge win in Kansas City? Let's hope not. I don't think they are. But guys, I think going into this 2023-24 season. If you want to talk about the two teams, both one from the AFC and one from the NFC, that had the most quote-unquote hype, it was Brian Feldman, C. Win, and Detroit, and and uh, and our, our our esteemed guests, Detroit Lions, Chris Magnum, New York Jets, right? And so going into the game, there was already expectations that the Lions are going to be a better team this year. Now. Everything you just described, Brian, regarding, you know, not having Travis Kelsey, not having Chris Jones, and, and also the number of, of uh, drops. By the way, they had four huge drops, the Kansas City Chiefs, in this football game. Three of them happened to be on third down plays in which they could have extended drives if they would have made those catches. Absolutely monstrous when it comes to the outcome of this game. And the Detroit Lions, we, we, they were losing the game. They were down, you know, by almost a touchdown late in the fourth quarter of this football game. And I know a lot of Lions fans out there like myself, and I'm sure you guys are included, were not dead set thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to go down there and David Montgomery is going to score this touchdown to give that, you know, to, to, to put them in the lead in this football game. Because we are Detroit Lions fans. We understand the history of this program. Look, I get it. Dan Campbell and Brad and, he, and these guys have come in. It's, 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 it's perceived as a new era in Detroit Lions football. But the fact of the matter is we still remember the history. I've been a fan since 1979 when I was nine years old, right? I go back. That's that's how far I go back. I've seen one playoff win in my time. I'm now in my 50s, okay? So we understand the reality of the situation. And we also look at this, too, from the standpoint of the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Is this maybe a situation in which Chiefs, uh, the door is closing for them? There's a lot more competition in the AFC, right? And the Chiefs. Obviously, the injury to Kelsey, he's, he's going to be back. But there's a question as far as Chris Jones, if he's going to be back in the mix there. So I think this was more of a case. And look, I'm going to say it as a Lions fan. This was more of a case of the Kansas City Chiefs losing this football game 
as opposed to the Detroit Lions winning the football game. I'm sorry. It just was. No, Chris, and I, I have been saying the same thing, except, I, like I said, the Detroit Lions played hard. They earned this victory. And Dan Campbell, ingenu- you know, great ingenuity. You know, a lot of people didn't agree with the fourth down, uh, you know, the fake punt early in the game. I loved it simply because that's the only time he's ever going to be able to use it. No one expected it. It was a great wrinkle, and it worked out. If it hadn't worked out, I still would have said, you know what, it was a ballsy move, and I didn't mind it. I like what Dan Campbell's doing. I like what I like what the, the, the regime is doing, Chris. I just don't want to get carried away with ourselves and saying, it's funny, you see, Greg, on a day off, right across the street from Ford Field is where that store is. He right in, sandwiched in between Comerica Park and Ford Field is where you'll find Fanatic U. So again, the, some of the greatest st- merchandise you will find. This guy finds everything and gets it all. And look at him working. He couldn't get anyone to work the store today, so he's down there. And you think, <laughs> you think across from Ford Field, nobody would be there today. Who's there? There's no game. I don't know if the Tigers are playing or not at Comerica Park, but uh, there's no game at Ford Field today, and yet he's his store is packed with people. That is enthusiasm. And Greg, before I let you go, that's what I wanted to ask well, you. Well, got the Tigers playing. I, I, I'm just filling in for a buddy of mine who's uh, a good friend of his in the, in the hospital. He's got some issues, and he just I had to work for him. So. Well, Greg, so, well, they, they you'd be working anyways. You'd just be traveling between all the stores. But, Greg, last thing, <laughs> yeah, exactly. talk to me about Lions merchandise sales. You know, one of the things, as your friend, being honest with the audience out there, it's been tough. Detroit Lions teams have not been successful, none of them. Michigan Wolverines are probably keeping you in business with having their stuff being the fact they've been a contender the last couple of years. But other than them, oh, yeah, everyone's, been, always does. everyone's been letting you down. How have Lions sales been this this post this offseason? Uh, I, I gauge it every I go January 15th last year and this year because that's basically the end of the season for the Lions till you know the present day. And Lions have been up about a about a hundred percent, about about a hundred percent up in sales over the last couple of weeks, about 120. And uh, like, here's an example. Last this weekend, they've been playing uh, the White Sox. Friday night, we just sold sold more Lions stuff down here than uh, Tiger stuff. And everybody coming in was a Tiger fan going to the game. That that's ridiculously that's, that's crazy, Greg. What's what's the biggest seller? And I want you to give out information on how people can go to your website and see all the stuff you have there and the locations you have in Detroit for people that may be either traveling there. That's or the biggest they- seller right there. Uh, see it, the turnover chain. Yeah, I was, I was pointing right there. Those are the biggest sellers. Look at that up there. See on the wall, the the turnover chains. That's great. You got to give no, me one then. It's crazy. Take one off the shelf and oh, put yeah. it away from me. There's a, I'll, of, send it, I'll send it to you. One of Greg's stores. I mean, I, I love going down there. Anything you want, Detroit, you can get from them. You can get from them. Greg, you said you think they're going to win 13 games this year. Okay? And, and I'm, yes. I, can't, I can't argue. I said 10. It was 12, maybe, it was 12 games if they, beat, if they lost Kansas City, which I expect. And I'm, I'm like with, uh, I think, Chris, your guest. I was thinking as they uh, were, you know, we were down by six at the end of the game, I was saying, you know what? They played them tough. They played them tough. And yeah, then, then they came around for yes, the way to make it. You know? This is ben just, Johnson, this is just, uh, this, ben Johnson did his thing. This is just the yeah. kind of thing, the kind of game <laughs> the Lions traditionally lose. But Greg, okay, you got to win him thirteen games. The Chiefs were one of their losses if they went to, if they only won twelve, thirteen. Who do you? Who else do you see him losing to this year? I'm going to put you on the spot. Not who they're going to beat. Who do you think they're going to lose to? Um, I don't know. I just for some reason I think Chicago is going to sneak one from them, and. Uh, who are they playing this year? They, we're going to the me and the, me and the boys are going down to New Orleans to see the Saints play. That's going to be a tough game. 
Uh, Derek um, Carroll throwing interceptions. Char- Chargers in L.A. Maybe. That, that, that's gonna be a tough game too. But I think I think they'll do. I, I it's tough to say they're gonna you know any given Sunday you know you have their worst game like last year they played New England they just were flat they lost was it twenty nine to zip or something like that mm-hmm. you know they're all gonna have that flat game but you know I I think they could play everybody tough it's gonna be it's gonna be a good year. Well, we're hoping we'll so, Greg. For them, for yourself, for your business, I think it's great. My friend Tim Muir, I'm I'm worried about him in Detroit because yesterday he t- he sent me a text that they're going to go 17 and 0. So I got a little bit of worried about him. I got to make sure he's he's not taking anything. But uh, you know what? It's I think it's going to be a successful year. And I will say right now, based on what I've seen, and again, um, I I think they are going to win their division. They're going to make the playoffs, and they are going to get that first ever elusive playoff win. That's as far as I'm going to go. And again, I'm going to. Every game, like I told Chris, like I've told Greg many times, and Chris saw me do it the other night. This is what they yeah. get until they win in the playoffs, guys. 65 years. They, hey, here's the deal. Clap, you're, you're baby. Not call them before. I like it. Here, yeah. here, yep. The, the bottom line is this. 65 years. Anyone that wants to argue with me, this is all they deserve. And again, I tell anyone, you want to argue and talk Detroit and why I think the way I did, Chris Wind will tell you the same thing. You know, give me a call. Leave your phone at home, and I'll meet you somewhere. Let's talk Detroit Lions trivia. I'll blow you out of the water. So don't tell me for one second I don't have a right to say that and to be a naysayer. I'm oh, only Brian. a naysayer. Sayer because remember the story. What's that? I was at your house. Remember that story? They're playing Tampa Bay in the playoffs, and there was a fumble, and all we had to do is sit on it and not try to advance. The guy tried to pick it up, got tackled, fumbled again, and we lost the playoffs. Well, that was actually. I was at your house when that happened. You should know this, Greg. That was actually a good friend of mine that was playing for the Lions that time. That was Matt Russell, who, uh, if you remember, because we went out and partied with Matt, and I shouldn't talk about those days, but with Matt and Peter (laughs) Plevich and my buddies. But you know, no, you can go ahead, Brian. uh, No, me and Greg were out one night with the boys, and I, I got punched by a bouncer and all the lions are telling me they're like uh wait a minute we can't help you right now we can't get no bar from the guys he punched me for no reason you know but anyways <laughs> he you know, did i saw it greg saw it. you were there but but anyways matt russell what had happened is he tried to pick up the ball uh, the lions had just tied the game against tampa in the playoffs on the on the ensuing kickoff Tampa fumbled the ball. Matt tried to pick it up and fumbled it out of bounds. Tampa got the ball, retained possession, and went down and scored a touchdown. Never looked back and won the game. Matt, years later, I'll tell this story real quick because we got to end this segment. But what I will say is, years later, I'm in Myrtle Beach with the Detroit Lions. Not years later, the following year. I'm in Myrtle Beach with the Lions players and all of our sponsors doing that golf outing. And I'm at, I'm at the bar. I'm actually at a bar with Matt Russell, Charlie Batch, uh, Pete Kerplevich, and a couple of other people. And I purposely dropped a $10 bill on the ground in front of Matt so he could see it. Matt bends down to like pick it up for me. I go, Matt, if you fall on it, you can keep it, but if you try to pick it up, I want it back. And uh, everyone else thought it was, <laughs> everyone else thought it was pretty funny. Matt did not. I guess I guess Bobby Ross chewed his ass out for that, and it was not comical to him. But uh, you know, the bottom line is, you're like Bobby Ross told him, you're a linebacker. Fall on the ball. Don't try to run. Is here? No. Anyways, oh, guys. Oh, Brian, great, great. Felt twi- taking the knife and twisting it on uh, on Russell. Oh, it's horrible. On that, on that, on that situation against the Buccaneers. Well, well, Greg, so Greg, no, Greg knows that was kind of mine and Russ's relationship. We gave each other crap all the oh, time. Yeah. So that was that was par for the course. I just didn't know I'd piss him off to that degree. But anyways, hey, Greg, get back to work. Tell everyone real quickly one more time where they can find your stores and your website. 
Uh, the store down here is right on your way to the game on Brush Street, 1901. I'm right across the street from the box office of uh, Ford Field. My other store is in Garden City on Ford Road at uh, 30409 Ford Road. And we got a brand new store. We moved from our Allen Road location to Eureka Road. It's more populated. And it's 19180 Eureka Road, right next door to uh, uh, Tim Hortons. How can they see your stuff online? Online, fanaticu.com, not fanatics. Not Fanatic fanatics, U. fanaticu.com, no. the original. He is Greg Every, owner of Fanatic U, one of my best friends. Little Greg, as always, I love you, brother. We will see you soon. I may be home for that uh, October 30th game against the Raiders. You never know. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Let me know when you make it because I, I got the ticket saved for you. If you, if you I, can. I know you do, brother. Once again, Greg, we appreciate it. We'll let him get off the line right now and quickly switch over to uh, the Raiders as we've only got a couple more min minutes. Raiders, Spence, a little after 1 o'clock today, they play their first regular season game against the Denver Broncos, a Denver Broncos team with a new head coach in Sean Payton and supposedly a rejuvenated quarterback in Russell Wilson. What's going to happen today? I like the Raiders today. Sorry, I'm a little sick. Um, but I do like the Raiders today. I think everyone's discounting them. I don't see a reason why they've won beat them for, I think, three straight years. The Broncos haven't gotten a victory. I know streaks have to end eventually, but I really like Jimmy G today and the Raiders. All right, Chris, I'll give you your take on it. I got about 30 seconds. Give me your take. Well, all kinds of intrigue, right? Because it's a division game right off the bat here between, uh, you know, uh, two teams with, uh, with uh, you know, relatively uh, young, young coaching regimes, if you're going to put it that way, with obviously Josh McDaniels in his second season, of course, uh, Sean Payton in his first. But uh, I disagree with Mags, though. Or, excuse me, disagree with the Wiz. I think that, that the Broncos actually do find a way to win this football game. Again, I, we talked about how Alabama and Texas, I think that you can make a, uh, make a clear distinction is better than the other That's the case here with the situation with the Denver Broncos. It's just a better football team than the Raiders are. We haven't really seen this entire, uh, you know, uh, collective that is the Las Vegas Raiders on the football field actually playing together in any extended period of time since, uh, you know, uh, preseason is the way that preseason is in the NFL. So, uh, look, I still, I still, the Raiders are going to be in this football game. It's going to be competitive, but I just uh, give the edge to the Denver Broncos in this situation. I'm going to make mine simple. Denver is going to win this game in the, the first game of the season. Yeah. I think, um, I, and I think the Raiders are going to get exposed in a couple of different areas. I think the key to this game is going to be, you know, Jacoby Myers because everyone's looking at, everyone's looking over at, uh, at uh, Devontae Adams. That's going to leave him single covered with their secondary uh, cornerback. To me, that's going to be a key matchup in this game and also Michael Mayer the tight end this is his first game start in the NFL big expectations for this guy we'll see if he can't break out Chris real quick what's your take I think the Raiders are going to win I I think Russell Wilson's the most overrated quarterback in the NFL I say it all the time the guy hasn't done anything since Marshawn Lynch was carrying the ball for him in Seattle I think the Raiders win I think they get off to a good start I don't know if it's going to stay that way but I think they take care of business today in Denver Jimmy G will he have the day listen final segment of the day right now I want to thank Chris Wynn for joining the show um, we have we have our pick segment right now this is going to be called pick it and we've got our guy right here he is a professional better he is telling us he can take us all to town this year you remember scoop from last year scoop joins us now we got we got 60 seconds in the the picket segment we are all going to pick again and Scoop, me, Chris, and and uh, and I should say me, uh, Magnum, and Spence. Chris, I'd let you in, but you won't be on every week, so it's got to be an every week thing, but we're going to pick no against worries. him at the end of the season. The three losers buy the winner dinner. Go ahead. What's your pick? Uh, what's your pick? Scoop, what's your pick? 
Oh, we can't hear him. I know what his pick is. We'll get you on next week's scoop. It's the Cleveland Browns. Listen, guys, I'm taking the New York football Giants and the three and a half points against the Cowboys. Mags. I like Captain Ron, the riverboat gambler. I think Washington is going to be an underrated team this year. They take care of the Arizona Cardinals, who are going to be the worst team in the league. Go ahead, Spence. Steelers. Spence likes the Steelers. And uh, what about you, Chris? We'll let Chris win throw. I got New Orleans Saints, baby. Minus the three. Derek Carr is going to you know, give his middle finger to all things silver and black. They get the win. <laughs> Look at that, Derek Carr. Listen, we're out of time. This is Out of Line. I'm Brian Feldman. Want to thank my friend Greg Every. Thank the scooper. We'll get him on next week. Remember, he picked the Cleveland Browns with the points. And in the RJ, we'll tell you about that next week. Thank Chris Magnum Chapman and, of course, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski. I'm Brian Feldman. We will be back next Sunday. Bye-bye.